Just Right Reader is the decodable text company for schools who want to increase reading achievement for their phonics learners. Purchase now so your students and teachers have access to books that are aligned to the science of reading research with a clear phonics continuum, beautiful illustrations, and fun stories that represent America's diverse students, and a QR code on each book that provides a mini lesson in both English and Spanish. Just Right Reader libraries have a place in each of your classrooms with packs of six books for small group instruction and take-home packs that fuel family engagement. Both of these products come in English and Spanish. Check out JustRightReader.com to increase reading achievement for your students today. And be sure to tell them that the Modern Principal sent you. Fear Driven PD is the partner for all school administrators looking to plan authentic and relevant professional learning for their staff this school year. These video professional development sessions feature current education practitioners sharing best practices, on-demand videos that give you and your teachers autonomy, and options for singleton teachers like art, music, and other electives. Reach out to Mike at PeerDrivenPD.com and he'll set you up with a Modern Principles discount. Don't wait to see how Peer Driven PD can fit into your year-long professional development plan to help lead your staff to collective efficacy. Karen, and you're listening to The, the Modern, Modern Principle. Principle. We're two school leaders who support current and future principles to modernize the approach to supporting students and staff in our schools. We strive to do it all through our approach of scholars, the research and evidence, systems, the structures that sustain, and soul, the emotions and human side. And hopefully, we do it with a whole lot of laughs. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Danielle. We're so excited Yay. to have you on the podcast. We've uh, we've been uh, Instagram friends for, for quite a long time. Four years <laughs> since the beginning. I know. Good to be here. I've been, you know, like cult following along for quite some time now. So, um, yes. And you're joining us from Massachusetts, right? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Where in Massachusetts are you? So I'm in Merrimack, Mass, and I it, I teach at Amesbury High School, which luckily for me is just the town over. So it's like northeast, almost New Hampshire. Fantastic. Okay, awesome. And okay, for our listeners, Danielle is a high school principal, and you had quite an interesting journey. You have one that our listeners love to ask us about, and neither one of us have experience. <laughs> you started as a teacher in your high school that you're now a principal, correct? Yes, I did. <laughs> And you became an assistant principal there. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, we need to make that a whole other pod too. Yes, because we get asked that all the time and we can never answer it. We're just like, like how do I you – think it's how, hard. I don't know. I know. Transitioning. You know, I think there's a lot of pros and cons to um, – my only experience moving into leadership has been in my own district. But as I thought through the process and have talked to other folks, I think there are pros and cons to, to rising from within versus, you know, coming in completely – um, as an external candidate from somewhere. So, um, yeah, I, I started my career teaching English and then at one high school and then transitioned to teaching English at the high school that I'm currently at. I taught for five years and I started my administrative um, internship. And the reason that I ended up, and I think this just speaks to relationships in general, but the reason I ended up at this high school was that my high school teacher, who had been a mentor to me and a very someone I, I remain in contact with, she was the assistant principal at the time. And she recruited oh me God. and said, Hey, we have a teaching job. Um, and so she helped me through my administrative. Um, That's amazing. That's really cool. Yep. She helped me through my administrative licensure. Uh, and then it just so happened that our principal at the time retired, she moved into that role. And so I moved into the principalship. And I think 
what I would say to lots of folks is that I was pretty young at the time. I was, I had just turned 30. Um, and I would not have made that move that early in my career had it not been the perfect situation and the right people around me to make that happen. Yeah. So you were 30 years old when you made the switch to high school principal. Uh, assistant principal. Assistant principal. So into admin. Yes. And is it right? Did I read that your principal then became the superintendent and that's when you took over as principal? Yes. Yes. Yep. What a great so, female leadership, yes. man. It's empowering. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, and it was one of those bizarre times because it was October 2020. So post-COVID, our superintendent uh-huh. unexpectedly. Um, and so we just all kind of stepped in and, and, and did the thing. And then she was given the permanent position um, and as was I. Wow. It was pretty awesome. That's amazing. And what a testament to like relationships and building up others other women especially yeah yeah had well you, a quick question about that had you seen yourself as a principal or did she kind of like inspire that in you for the first time we have a running joke that two weeks before this unexpected change in leadership we were in a meeting and she was talking about future with me and what would be next and I actually said hell no to a <laughs> but you know and so I've learned that never say never right um but a hundred percent, it was, it, it was a situation and a circumstance that really lent itself to, um, doing what we needed to do in that moment for survival, I guess, given the COVID circumstance. But, um, I had the right person to help coach me and lead me to that role. Okay. So we have already agreed that we are bringing Danielle on again <laughs> to talk yes. about being a woman in leadership. We get that question a lot in our messages just about that that balance. And if you are not watching on YouTube, Danielle uh-huh. is currently like nursing and burping a baby because <laughs> she is currently on maternity leave. And there's another um, one down And there's there too, another one she too <laughs> because she has newborn twins. Um, and so we're going to do an entire episode with her just about that. Um, and you're a doctor. Yes. And yes. you're a head principal. Yes. So um, – and on top of that, it's babies number four and five. Yeah, she so. has more kids than the both of us combined. So, yeah, we, we will bring her back. We know you guys have questions. So, unfortunately, <laughs> we are talking, though, today about our joking, jobs, about our actual jobs, about being principals, um, and particularly about team building and collaboration. And what Karen and I love is that Danielle is from that secondary world, that high school world, and we don't necessarily have um, as much experience there. And so we're really excited to talk through a little bit about that. For sure. So talk to us a little bit, like, if you had to summarize an accomplishment of your high school in terms of in the realm of culture and collaboration, what are some words you would really throw out that makes you feel proud about your high school in those areas? Um, You know, I don't know about particular words, but structures have really been important for me as a leader. And one strange thing about coming into the role as a teacher was that we didn't have any middle level management in our school at the time. And Mm. that had been a budgetary thing that never came back into place, you know, department heads, that sort of thing. And so working with my now superintendent principal, we started putting the process in place to bring that role back. And so Mm -hmm. from a culture perspective, I think, so I, when I transitioned into principal that next school year, I was able to, uh, bring back department heads. And that was uh, a really positive thing for our school because there was such... Tell us, yeah, tell us about the impact of that kind of middle management on the culture. Well, it takes the burden off of 
the principal <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, part of my research for my for my dissertation was around principals leading collaboration and this idea mm-hmm. that if you have a strong vision and then people underneath to execute it, you really, um, you know, you don't have to carry as much of the load and the buy-in from your staff is just that much stronger because they're hearing it not just from that one top-down kind of person, but from someone in their department that they trust, that they, you know, that they want to have that kind of relationship that they see more frequently. So um, that little, that level of management has been a really, really positive thing for our school. Awesome. And thinking about like that collaboration, how do you balance at the at the secondary level the needs of talking about student social emotional support, attendance with the academic piece, credit recovery, all of those kind of things, making sure kids get to graduation? How do you kind of balance all of that with content teams and other you, types of Yeah, teams? how do you balance all that? I think that's the challenge at the high school. Sometimes I, I often get jealous of middle schools and elementary schools that have grade-based or team time needed in their Mm -hmm. schedule. So um, a piece of making all of this happen for me that we needed to put in place was creating a schedule that allowed departments to have time off together. So we actually changed our schedule uh, in my, the year that I transitioned into leadership from a four block schedule to a six block schedule that allowed for each of the departments to have a block off together each day. So that was a bit so that they can sit meet, talk about students, whether it's about the academic side and reviewing student data assessments or the social emotional side. Um, And we also carved out a weekly time for our guidance team um, to come together and sort of do that same sort of thing once a week. And and teachers can refer students to this team. And we, not just from a special ed perspective, but really just any kind of at-risk, at-risk. Wow. Who serves on your guidance team? So we have our guidance counselors, our adjustment counselors. We always have an administrator in there. We have our special education facilitator. We have our school resource officers. And then we have a few outside partners that are really important to us. We have a social service agency that our school is linked and partnered with. So they send a representative to the meeting. So wow, wow, social emotional players together on a weekly basis. What's what's an adjustment coordinator or so can you say adjustment counselor yeah in massachusetts we i think the model's shifting a little bit but we had separate titles for a guidance counselor who's specific sort of for the academic side of things versus the got it or that does more of the social emotional i think now there's school counselor as a role but um that's how the certifications have gone in mass awesome and you did you make the connection with the social social service group was that something that was already in place how did that start with collaborating with the outside agency? Yeah, it's been a long-standing relationship between our district awesome. and agency, but we formalized it, and then that weekly meeting was something that that I put into place when I was in the assistant principal role. I, you know, worked with guidance, and we decided there was a need. It actually started as you brought up attendance. It started as an attendance piece when we were looking at our accountability data. So we were reviewing attendance data weekly, and then obviously since COVID the needs have just yep. been in attendance meeting now. Awesome. And teachers, you said, could bring students of concern, but also the team would be looking at data and identifying other students of concern? Yes. Yep. So we have a Google form that staff can fill out if they can't, because typically that might not be a time that they're able to attend. Um, yep. Although one really great thing that our staff is great about, and we have some structures in place, is that, if, that we're able to provide coverage so that if a teacher needed to be there, wanted to be there, that we could help to make that happen. 
So thinking of like that collaboration piece, like collaboration doesn't just happen even if you get the people in a room, right? Um, and especially I have found in my new role working with K-12, I think sometimes it, the expectation has been collaboration more at the elementary level and secondary people don't always know how to bend and twist and, <laughs> and change a little bit because collaboration isn't always built into their schedule. So how did you work to kind of build that capacity in your staff and kind of the buy-in to the to the model of working together. Is that the rep that we have? <laughs> <laughs> Only I can say it. Christy was secondary. So. I was. Yes. It's okay. It's probably true. <laughs> um, no, I think there, there are a couple pieces that play into laying the foundation for collaboration. And I think the first one is trust. Um, yeah. And so that is a place where rising from with own my own rising from within in my own district was really powerful is that I had already had established relationships and, um, had rapport with people that I could go to and say, Hey, you know, we, I need X, Y, and Z, or can you help me with this? And, and have the ability to do that. So that was a, a real positive. Um, but when it comes to building trust, it interpersonal relationships are just, you know, they have to be the key to it. So I think, it's almost more important that I am able to hop into a staff's classroom and ask them about their daughter's piano recital, even more so mm-hmm. than feedback on their, you know, lesson on bioethics. Um, yes. <laughs> because if I can't, if I don't, if I can't do the first part, the ability to do the second part is really cold. It's sterile. It's, it's mm-hmm. different. Um, you know, and then I think a third layer of it is in establishing that, you know, baseline is about hiring, you know, uh, you guys have done some really great podcasts on hiring and I've always found that it's most beneficial to hire for the person, the type of person you want on your team as yep. just, you know, what they're bringing on paper and, and, and their expertise. So having those foundational pieces, I think has been huge for teacher collaboration and um, making those interpersonal relationships rooted, not just between admin and staff, but staff and each other. So um, just a quick example, um, our department heads, because we have that role in place, we created a department head fun calendar this year. So oh. each month they rotated um, coming up with an activity and bringing snacks to the faculty meeting. And, and little, as you guys know, food goes a, a really long way. Yep. Um, but those things matter. They do. I love that. That's great. So you mentioned some changes with the scheduling. I think we'll have listeners that want to know, like, what hurdles did you have when you went from a block to an hour, six-hour schedule? How did you kind of work through those? Um, a major hurdle, and I'll just be frank about it, was dealing with the union and the contract negotiation. Oh. It was a change to working conditions. Um, yep. So because it was linked into – the contract as a whole and money and all of those different things that it from start to finish, it was a seven year process that we went through and in, in trying to change the schedule. Um, so yeah. Like are you collective bargaining? Wow. You guys have that yeah. agreement? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so that was a, that was a hurdle that we faced. Um, yeah. You know, and, and there were different layers of buy-in that we had to work through. So for sure we were in a 90 minute block, um, four blocks a day. And then we went down to about a 55 minute block, six blocks a day. And for high school folks, you know, those are kind of two very different schools of thought, yeah. how you want to, you know, yeah. for your day. And, um, you know, for us, it was a, we were able to, you know, we can now offer more classes to students, more electives, you know, it's been, it's been beneficial, but certain content areas like science, for example, we're really worried. Yeah. Will we have enough yeah. lab? Um, 
So mm-hmm. we probably some of the electives as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tell me a little bit more. You've talked kind of about the cross content collaboration where you kind of, it sounds like you have some sort of the student support team where you have the counselors and the outside agency. Um, but because of your new schedule, you were able to do more of the in within content um, collaboration. And so tell me a little bit about how you supported that and what you're doing at the secondary level to make that meaningful. Because a lot of times in secondary, you've got folks who are not necessarily teaching the same um, yep. course. Teaching a one-off or... And, mm-hmm. and so how... How does that collaboration look like? What does it look like? And how do you make sure that it's effective? That's a great question. And that's something I think we're still working through because we're only in year two of having this this time. But having a leader, having a department head has been huge. I think we had times available in the day prior to this where people could get together, but there was no structure in place and no one to, to kind of take the reins on it. So it varied department by department. Um So I've had some expectations this year around curriculum writing itself to, to kickstart some of the conversations that will then get about assessment and instruction. So, um, we use an understanding by design model and, um, staff have really taken a dive post COVID and post schedule change back into what are we teaching and what matters. And that's a, a lens that we've had throughout the course of the year, I think. And I'm sure you guys, you could speak to this, but, um, some of the things that felt really important and like we had to do it before COVID, yes. we don't feel that way anymore. And that's okay. Nope. So our staff, my, we, they've really wanted to take a look back into what they're teaching, how they're teaching it, how they're engaging with students. The priorities. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think that there's been a shift and um, it's really nice to allow some dedicated time for them to deep dive into their content and take a look at that together. That's awesome. Do you have an administrator present in all of those content collaborations or kind of, we always get questions about some of those, the details and the nitty gritty of that. What does that structure look like? So we don't. So when we did not have department heads, the administrative team used to be in every department meeting and it was too much to be honest. It was great to be there because I felt like I had um, a pulse on every department. Um, yeah, but that, but I didn't feel like I could follow through on what the needs were. In sure, department. That's the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. So the department heads run the meeting now, and um, twice a month we meet with just that group, the department okay administration group. So they're able to report back to uh, give us nice. any takeaways, any questions. Uh, on occasion, they will invite an administrator to come to their department head mm-hmm. meeting, or we'll say, "Hey, we really would like to come be a part of that." But I my team and I, we've really tried to take a step back and not micromanage that. And I think that's helped build trust because from going from being at every single meeting and creating the agendas and all of that, because we didn't have a place. uh, It's been a nice, nice shift to hand that off to somebody else, but have a system in place so that we have checks with that group too. Yeah, it's a great way to shift the onus of responsibility um, and kind of let teachers guide what they need to talk about without fear that they're talking about the wrong things. Yeah. Um, because I found that when I was in PLCs, they'd be looking at me like, what's next? And I'm like, no, you tell me what's next. <laughs> so that's a really great way to shift it, to have that kind of twice a month meeting with the heads to make sure you're all going in generally the same direction. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. I also- so shifting a little bit. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add that I meet with the department heads individually once a month as well. So Oh, yeah. I I think one of the most annoying things in education is when something that's very specific to a person or a situation takes up the majority of a group meeting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, yes. 
I, you know, if the English department has something they really need to talk about, we do that during the one-to-one as opposed to during the whole group meeting. And that Smart. nice too. Are your, Danielle, just because I know somebody's going to ask on the back end, are your meetings with the department heads, both the, as a collective and your one-on-ones, are those done during the school day or are you doing those before or after school? Are those people getting stipends? Oh, great question. So the department heads get stipends. Yes. Um, we, I meet, I do the one-on-ones during the school day with them during their prep time. Okay. And they also do their department meetings during that, during the school day, during that prep time. They have the option to do them after school, but since we've been able to schedule it together, all the, the departments have all agreed they'd prefer to do it during their prep time than stay after school, which yeah, I, I would agree with that um, when I was teaching too. Um, and then the group department head meetings do happen after school because that's really the only time that yeah. yeah, you can get them all together. Yep, absolutely. Um, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit, switching a little bit to culture. I perused your school's website, and I saw that you had these, like, coffee meetings with parents. <laughs> yes. Tell us about that. That's a great way. At the secondary level, we hear often, like, parents are either overly I, involved or not involved. Yeah, I did consulting work, and um, it was always a struggle for all of the secondary schools that I worked with. They were really struggling with that parent engagement already before COVID. And then after COVID, it was completely exacerbated. <laughs> yeah. Parent engagement's a challenge at the high school level, but it also... Unless it's sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, unless it development, but it sort of develop, developmentally makes sense too. You know, I think parents are yeah. that weird. I yes. High schoolers yet, but I think you're in that weird place where it's like, should I be involved? Should I not? Like, yeah, I don't, you know, so getting them in, I think is a little more challenging unless it's at a sports game or a, you know, drama performance or, or something yes. like that. So we have more parent structures that are based on those types of groups. So we have a boosters group, we have, you know, a, um, a music, a parent music group. Um, but I do offer the principal's copies monthly to allow anybody to come in. And last year I was doing them and alternating between in-person and virtual, but I went back to all in-person this year and just feel like it's a better, um, better opportunity to just sit and talk. Um, I tend to get some of the same folks. So I'm, I'm doing some reflection on what I can do to branch that out a little bit. Bless you. Goodness. <laughs> Just a baby, cute little baby sneeze. Um, but one thing that I have started doing is I've started connecting with the middle school because they do have a formal parent advisory group, their PAG. So I'm trying to almost poach a parent or two from there <laughs> to start, nice. you know, to, to um, get them, get their foot in the door because if they get in, they won't know any different. And hopefully I can just kind of continue that um, that pattern. So that's my strategy. Is there, is there anything you've learned from your coffees or that has been brought up that has, um, impacted how you've approached culture, um, or parent collaboration in your building? I would say it's connected to, it's connected to culture, but the biggest thing that comes out of those meetings for me is about communication misses. (laughs) So Uh always, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, but but that matters because if I thought something was coming out one way and it did not come out that way, that way, then people are talking about it and it's, you know, it gets around and becoming a thing. Yeah. Yes. So I'll often hear things like, um, you know, a, a not silly example, but a, a serious example. We had, we were in a lockdown situation this year. Mm-hmm. We communicated to students that when the lockdown ended, we were going to continue the bell schedule for the rest of the school day. 
we communicated to parents lockdown was done, but didn't say anything about the bell schedule. Right. So that mm, okay. are they going back to class? Are they not? Can I dismiss them? You know, and it was really great to get that feedback because I hope we're not in that situation again. But if we are, I'll understand that this was a really important piece of information that families wanted that they didn't feel like they got in that situation. So, yep. yeah, that's the communication piece. We've done several pods yep. about that and just the, the idea is that even if you think you're over-communicating, you never you are, are. you're still under-communicating. <laughs> right. But you know the interesting piece, once I've moved to the district level, it's almost gone the opposite way again. Oh, really? Yes, because it's just you – Another know, like, stop talking to me? Stop emailing me? Well, no. It's like <laughs> the more you communicate, the more people that will m- have more questions and mm-hmm. get into the minutia. So it's almost like you have to check yourself about like what do they need to know piece. It's it's interesting, the levels of communication and how that works. I know. We started – my new assistant principal um, who took my place as assistant principal started a weekly – we call it the staff stuff. And it goes out, you know, a lot of folks do this every, every week to get information out. Um, but we also think what also needs to be said in person, you know, cause some people say this yep. sent in an email and yes, it could. And yes, it was. But, um, if, if it really needs that reinforcement, then we all yep. person opportunity to say it again or introduce it or whatever the case might be. Yep. Um, so thinking kind of a little bit about culture, um, what are some of the ways or the struggles, maybe would be good to say it, that you've worked through at the secondary level with trying to promote an inclusive environment for students and keep spirit high, get kids involved, but also making sure you're not missing students or inadvertently leaving some out? How do you work through that? I think we've had some really challenging conversations and they're hard, but um they need to happen. And so my assistant principal, one of my assistant principals, she was dealing with a bullying investigation. And what ended up coming out of it was that a group of students who were feeling um, like they weren't being included, she started doing a monthly lunch with them, just her and those Mm. students to check in. Because at the high school level, so much, especially with social media, so much just lies Mm -hmm. under the surface. And even when we dealing with student conflict or even teacher issues. Sometimes there's always this layer underneath that, you know, this undercurrent that we may not see and students or teachers may not want to share. So creating time and space that's specifically intended to have that conversation um, is, is really important. And I think when we have that, we call it our roll call meeting that I was referring to before with our guidance team, but having our special education facilitator there, for example, gives us a really great space to talk about inclusion and whether or not, you know, we're, we're meeting the mark when it comes to, um, you know, giving opportunities for all students to be involved in certain things. And, and she's been great about saying, you know, I really, I don't think this is working. I think this is working. Can we try this or even something, you know, we're small enough as a school, to hear this specific student feels this way, what can we do about it? So, um, space to talk. You seem to be, you seem to be really good, Danielle, about including all of the necessary and important voices, um, in the room all at the same time and really trying to get them together. Have you experienced any, um, struggles with specific personalities derailing some of your, collaboration I'm sure you efforts haven't. and and if so how how have you approached that you know it's interesting because i think there are um sometimes there are downsides to 
including so many people in so many conversations. And I think yep. one of the things I've struggled with as a leader is that there are times when I just have to make the decision and yes. might not need be able to bring everyone together to powwow about it. Yep. So, um, and that goes back to that trust. I need my staff to trust that when those situations happen, they knew I did it for the best interest of them, students, the culture, et cetera. And, and I think we're getting there. But early on, I remember feeling like, oh gosh, if I don't check in with A, B, C, D, if I don't run the sky folks, yes. they're going to be so frustrated. And they were at times. Um, mm-hmm. Those have been some, some one-on-one conversations too about just that, you know, I, I'm going to include, I'm going to include folks as often as I can um, in places that I, I, I'm able to, but that's not always going to be the case. And I think, I think that has been a, a struggle because I've had folks come back and say things like, why weren't we a part of this decision-making process and talking through that and the why, and it, those conversations can be time consuming, but I think what comes <laughs> out of them is a better understanding of the decision-making process. Yes. Yeah. Check. 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 Agree. Agree. I mean, you're absolutely right that after it is hard because you do have to just make the decision sometimes and sometimes there's not time to bring, you know, that many voices to the table. But you're so right that um, ultimately if you have the trust and you can explain the decision making process, it helps to continue building the trust rather than depleting it. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to fall back on that and say like, we've built this trust. You have to, you have to trust it. Yep. Yeah, we built trust. Trust it. (laughs) Danielle, do you have any other um, just like pieces of your team building structures or your collaboration structures, um, any successes that you think would be helpful for other principals to hear? Because we hear a lot of negative right now, even when I go on, you know, go online and try to research things. There's Mm -hmm. just a lot of heaviness in public ed. And so would love to hear just anything that we haven't talked about that you feel has been a real success um, in your position and with your team. I agree. There is so much negative right now and it's sometimes hard to, to not focus on that. Um, But, you know, and we're not doing it perfectly either. You know, I'm sure if a staff member of mine were listening, they would say, oh my gosh, you know, that's that's like literally always our biggest fear that we that we share something and then we we have someone just writing notes and we have like that was not how that went (laughs) yep that's not my memory of that um yes (laughs) you know but I think as a leader um I've tried to enter into you know a more vulnerable type of school culture and that's hard for some people and that's not the natural Mm -hmm. tendency for certain people on my staff. So that can be really uncomfortable, but acknowledging that and meeting people where they are is important too. I can't just push that, that style right. on everybody and, and that's okay. Um, but I also think that being willing to listen and to change, you know, so let's say I made that quick decision and there was just a whole big piece of it that I didn't really know or understand. So yeah. I, you have to not have so much pride that you can't say, wow, I missed this huge part of this yeah. and, and I didn't make the right decision in this instance. So, um, so we need to do something different and that can be hard to do. And that can be, you know, yeah. play into your ego a little bit, but you yeah. know, that aside, if, if changing the decision you've made is what's best is what's best for your school, you know? So, um, that's been a, a big learning curve for me. And I think, 
um, just again, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. It's so easy to just make a generalization to your staff. And it's the same thing when you're teaching in the classroom, you know, you all really need to yep. do X, Y, or Z and the couple of people that need to hear it just don't. Um, so I, I can tell that I've made some progress because I, you know, and I, I even talked to my therapist about this. Every principal should have a therapist. Yes, oh, agreed. Oh, that's your quote today. That's your quote. Um, like I could feel myself shake sometimes when I go in to have some of these conversations and yep. you know, just feel that tension and anxiety inside my body. And um, it's not there as much anymore. So that's, that's some growth. Yes. The worst part about those conversations is all the time leading up to them. That's what I always say. I think it's always worse for us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the amount of mental energy that you use walking through 95 scenarios and how to say it and what would happen if, and then just whether should I, should I not, you just should. Yes. Yep. And I've sometimes have been, you know, had this narrative in my head of what I think people think, you know, you, you know, oh, yes. Right. So I've even started to say to people, I have this narrative in my mind that you are thinking the story I'm telling myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Brene. You're the best. Um, Yep. Am I on point with this or am I totally off base? And if I'm on point, sometimes that's hard to hear too, but I'd rather hear that and just know than be in that wondering place. Yep. So glad you said that. Yeah. The story I'm telling myself right Mm -hmm. now is that Uh, you think I made a bad decision. Yep. And I can't get over it. That's the story I'm writing. <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. Yes. Yes. 100%. Well, we are coming to the end of our time we with are. Um, Danielle. And so, Danielle, at the, you know, I think you've listened to our podcast. At the end of every pod, we ask um, for you to share from the desk of the modern principal. And so we'd love to just share um, for As you to you share. you are such a modern principal. Yes. If you would share just kind of one little takeaway in terms of this um, collaboration and team building, um, something that you've learned or a quote or or something that you could share with our, our, our listeners, our people. I have written up on my board um, lots of little sayings and things that I want to see every single day. And one of them that stands out to me is the idea, uh, what you permit, you promote. Yes. You love that one. <laughs> I do. One of the things, right? And I bring that up in connection to collaboration because it goes back to those challenging conversations and collaboration can't ever be as successful as possible if there's a giant elephant in the room that just needs to be discussed and taken care of. And to do that with care and in those one-on-one settings as opposed to let's just do this in front of everybody, that's something that is hard as a leader, but I think it's really important. And so, um, you know, making sure to have the hard talk when you need to have the hard talk. Right. And and the way that always got me through that too, is like, what, what did I promise students that I would do? And I promised students that I would give them all the same experience. And if you are not doing that, I'm not keeping my promise. And so that was, well, that was one of mine too. Yours was no sanctioned incompetencies. It was same idea. Similar, mm-hmm. Yeah, similar idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We are definitely going to bring you back. I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've got some questions about female leadership. So we got some, we got to buy into this. Thanks for joining us today on the Modern Principal Podcast. If you enjoyed today's pod, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find out more on our website at www.themodernprinciple.com or Instagram at The Modern Principal. Bye. Bye.